clear up some con- maybe some confusion, uh, Seven Hills is the name of the church that was formerly known as Christ the King Somerville. So maybe that will uh, clear up some confusion there. Um, all right. Psalm 42. Uh, let's turn our attention to God's word. Page 469 of the, pew, the Black Pew Bible in front of you. Psalm 42. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we do pray uh, that your spirit of God, uh, through the preaching of the word, uh, would convince and convert and build us up in holiness and comfort. Uh, Give us faith. Nourish us uh, by the the, uh, preaching of your word. Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is one of those psalms, this is perhaps the psalm, in which we're not only taught truth, but we're taught to remind ourselves of the truth, the truth of God's word. When your soul, when your inner being is uh, discouraged, disquieted within you, downcast, what do you do? And what we see here in Psalm 42 is that it's not enough Uh, To listen to your heart, as the 80s pop song says, or to follow your heart, uh, which is what every contestant on The Bachelor does, mostly to disappointing results, right, for most of them. No, we need to talk to our hearts. We need to address our souls. We need to remind ourselves of the truths of God, who he is, what he has done, what he has promised to do, that in remembering, we might have hope in him. This psalm brings us uh, through the drought and out of the depths to hope. And so when your soul is discouraged and downcast, this is my outline, long for the Lord, remember the Lord, and hope in the Lord. First, long for the Lord. The psalm begins with a picture of deep and desperate longing. Verse 1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. 
The main point is not how much the psalmist loves God, but how desperate he is for him. Whoever the psalmist is, and, and we're, uh, we're told this is a mascal of the sons of Korah, but some think that the sons of Korah uh, were revising an earlier composition of David, uh, written when he was on the run because of Saul, exiled to a place that kept him from coming to worship the Lord in his sanctuary. It seems to fit that occasion. Whatever the case, this is someone who's been cut off from worshiping the Lord and recognizes his need of God's presence like the deer pants for water. The psalmist recognizes his own weakness apart from the strength that God provides. He recognizes that he's not a camel. He's a deer who needs water constantly. His soul thirsts for God. He's not lost his belief in God, but he's lost the experience of meeting with the living God, verse 2. And I wonder if you can identify, maybe at some past season of life, or maybe right now, it seems like God's refreshing, life-giving presence, which you have felt powerfully in the past, has gone. To feel as if God's presence uh, comes and goes is the normal experience of the Christian life. That's what we see here. This psalm shows us how to nourish our souls when we feel like God is absent. The psalmist asks, when shall I come and appear before God? He longs to be with the Lord. For he says, verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. Few statements in the scriptures are more powerful to express the continual uh, disappointment and despair. The psalmist has a steady diet of tears. If you've been led to believe that Christians are supposed to be happy all the time, read the Psalms. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, who's they? Is this the hypothetical they? You know what they say. Well, no. No one is specifically mentioned, but later in the Psalm, they are identified as an en enemy or adversary, not only to the psalmist, but of the Lord, for they are not only mocking the psalmist, but the Lord, saying, where is your God? So the first three verses have kind of set up the scene, and it's this scene of desperate longing for water in a drought. The psalm teaches us how to pray in periods of spiritual dryness. When we experience a dry period in the Christian life, we must long for the Lord, express our desire, our desperate need of Him even when, and perhaps especially when, we're not feeling his presence. When that's the case, don't run to other sources of water. Don't put your hope in a mirage. Cry out to the Lord. Long for him. You can pray this psalm, or many others. Psalm 63, a good parallel psalm. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The psalmist here goes on, verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Here's what he remembers. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. There's a tone of sadness in his remembering. He's calling to remembrance how things once were and compares what used to be to his present circumstances, which are far from ideal. He used to experience 
the joy of worshiping with God's people, something we should not take for granted. Not only that, but leading them in worship. He remembers this fondly, but his present reality is so far from that. So he expresses his longing in prayer. He pours out his soul. And bringing it before the Lord is what opens the door to his self-questioning. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. As he remembers the sweet times worshiping the Lord in his sanctuary, he reminds his soul, cast down and in turmoil as it is, that he will again have such an experience. He will again praise the Lord. I shall again praise him. It's not just a prediction of, of a change, as if his praise were only based on circumstances. It's a resolution. The psalmist is not merely listening to his troubled heart. He's addressing it. He engages in self-talk, or what one commentator calls self-communion. Here's how uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones kind of famously uh, put it. The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Hoping in the Lord, then, is a discipline. As we long for the Lord, we remember. And as we remember, we have hope. And so when your soul is discouraged and downcast, long for the Lord. Second, remember the Lord. We see this maybe most clearly in verse 6. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. When your soul is cast down, it's so easy to just fall further and further into a hole. It takes discipline to remember the Lord. He reminds his soul to remember the Lord, even as he's exiled out of Israel from the land of Jordan, probably meaning the land beyond the Jordan River, and of Hermon, a mountainous region from Mount Mazar. He, as, as Calvin puts it, contends strongly against his own sorrow. And as he contends against his own sorrow, he does so by remembering Psalm 103, we sang a version of this, 10,000 reasons. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. It's part of our fallen condition as humans that we constantly forget. There's a, a 2001 uh, movie called Memento. It's a Christopher Nolan movie, a great, great movie. It tells the story of a man named Leonard searching for the men who uh, had attacked him and killed his wife. Uh, but Leonard suffers from what's known as anterograde amnesia. That is, he can't create any new memories. 
Uh, he can remember his life up to the point where he suffered this traumatic head injury. But since then, every hour or so, all of his short-term memories are erased and he starts over. It's actually a, a real but a very rare condition. So in order to communicate to himself what he's learned, he leaves these mementos for himself, messages to his future self in the form of notes, uh, Polaroids, tattoos, information on finding his wife's killer, warnings on who to trust and who not to, so that when his, his newly formed memories are erased, he'll have something that he can go on. And what we see throughout the Bible is that this is us. This is our spiritual condition. We are spiritual amnesiacs and need to remember not just once, but we constantly forget. And therefore, God calls us constantly to remember, to remind ourselves of his goodness, of his power, of his faithfulness. He calls us to be vigilant in our remembering. The message for God's people as they enter the promised land, this is Deuteronomy 6. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You see, it's actually in the good times that we most easily forget the Lord. We are to be constant and vigilant in remembering the Lord, the one who not only created us, but redeemed us, brought us out of the, the house of slavery to sin. The psalmist needs to be armed with remembrance of God because he describes the situation in the most dire terms. Verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and waves have gone over me. I've, as I said, I've, I've memorized this psalm, but until the, I studied it this week, I really had no idea how to interpret this verse. What is he saying here? Deep calls to deep gives a picture that he's, he's not only crying out from the depths of the sea, which uh, to this culture represented chaos and darkness, but he's so far in the depths, he's so deep that should he call out, his cry would only reach another deep cavernous place. Whatever suffering he's facing, he feels like he's drowning. There's a sense of floundering as the breakers and waves are going over him, submerging him. And yet, as one commentator puts it so beautifully, his faith keeps on asserting itself. And when his own experience is that of drowning, he draws on the Lord's covenant promises. Verse 8, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. The reference to the Lord's steadfast or covenant love shows that not only does he remember the Lord's past faithfulness to him, personally, in his own life. He remembers the Lord's covenant promises to his people. His promise to always love and deliver his people. And he claims such promises for his own life. The God who has been their help in ages past is the God to whom he prays, the God of his life, verse 9. The God he trusts to deliver him. 
And when we feel abandoned by God in darkness, in chaos, when the waves have come up to our neck or have submerged us, we need to be armed not only with how God has been faithful in our own individual lives. We certainly need that. There's plenty of that in this psalm. But we may also get to a point in our lives where we can't see God's faithful presence and love in our own lives. I've spoken to many people over the years who are hurting and they can't trace God's faithfulness to them personally. What we need then is the testimony of the scriptures to remember God's faithfulness to his people, to remember the God who loved and helped and delivered his people time and time again. Elie Wiesel, the the Jewish uh, ethicist and and Holocaust survivor, uh, once wrote that no command is as persistent in the Hebrew scriptures as the command to remember. Remember, he says, he points to God's word, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Remember Amalek, who wanted to annihilate you, but the Lord protected you and gave you rest from your enemies. Remember the steadfast love and faithfulness of the Lord. This is why we need to know God's word. How can we call to mind the promises of God if we don't know his word? It's like a child adopted uh, from China as an infant, uh, being raised in America by parents who speak English. When the child is, is a year or two years old and begins to speak, she doesn't start speaking Mandarin or, or Cantonese. She speaks English because that's what she's absorbed, right? We can't expect to speak the truths of God's word to our own hearts if it's a foreign language. The only way we can speak the truths of God's word to our own heart and soul is by absorbing God's word, receiving it, hearing it, reading it. Some well-intentioned Christians have have said to me uh, in the past that every sermon should have an immediate application. Like, uh, this is what you need to go and do differently in your lives this week. And maybe that's true in a broad uh, sense. But from a biblical standpoint, the purpose of hearing God's word read and taught is not primarily so that you can go out and and have it immediately applied to your life in this way. It's so that you can be a tree planted by streams of water. So that when the, the dark and discouraging, when the dry times come, and they will, you can have deep roots from which to draw God's word, living water, When you feel like you're drowning, and I know I'm mixing metaphors here, when you're being overcome by by wave after wave of suffering, you can have God's word ready on your lips. You can have stories of his faithfulness ready on your heart to remind your soul. The psalmist then prays a prayer to the God of his life, to God, his rock, and here's what he prays. Why have you forgotten me? Now, the back and forth nature of this psalm uh, may seem strange, but it's how real life is, isn't it? It's up and it's down. It's joy and it's sorrow. It's hope and it's anxiety. It's I'm feeling good and it's I feel like I'm drowning. Why, Lord, have you forgotten me? It's because the psalmist believes so deeply in the Lord's sovereignty that he can lament, that he can ask, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? 
because he knows the Lord's immeasurable power is more than that of his enemy. He brings his question to the Lord. He calls on him to remember his promises, to remember his mercy, to do something. And because he knows God cares for him, he brings his complaint that the adversary's taunt is like a wound that is pierced all the way down to his bones. There's an internal conflict that's depicted in this psalm, which again, may not be unfamiliar to us. It's almost like there's two opposing parties, two opposing selves. Maybe you can identify with that. There's there's one self that is relying on the promises and character and mighty works of the Lord. And there's one that's doubting and despairing and disheartened. The New Testament makes clear that this is the case, that we do, in one sense, have two selves, the old humanity and the new humanity, life in the flesh and life in the spirit. And there are two competing narratives that battle for our hearts and souls about who the Lord is and what he will do. One which whispers when dangers arise that the Lord can't be trusted. We know where that whisper comes from. Humanity first heard it in the garden, that God is not for us and he ultimately cannot be trusted. And the other whisper that comes, which says, trust me, I am with you always. Be still and know that I am God. And that's the whisper of the spirit. So having put his questions and complaint out there to the Lord, once again, he addresses his soul. Verse 11, and that brings us to the final point. When your soul is discouraged and downcast, first, long for the Lord. Second, remember the Lord. Third, hope in the Lord. Remembrance leads to hope. In remembering the steadfast love and power of the Lord, he expects that God will be merciful to him. Once again, he questions his soul. Verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. He's presently in a place of agony and depression, but he goes back to an enduring, timeless truth. This too shall pass. There's an ancient uh, story from Jewish folklore of a king who wanted to humble one of his noblemen. And so he gave him a task of finding a ring that had the power to make a happy man sad and a sad man happy. The nobleman uh, searched, he made inquiries, searched high and low for uh, what he assumed would be a magic ring. Until one day, a wise elderly man in the marketplace took him aside and he took a simple ring from his display and began to engrave an inscription on it. And without a word, he handed the ring to the nobleman who read the inscription, this too shall pass. Because it expressed to a person who was happy that they would not continue to enjoy life forever, but to those who were unhappy, that things would not always be as they are now. But you see, the great hope of the Christian faith is that we can say, this too shall pass, regarding our suffering, regarding our shame. But we need not say it about our joy, because our joy will abound more and more throughout eternity. Jonathan Edwards uh, once preached a sermon in the 18th century uh, called Christian Happiness, in which his outline uh, is as follows. The Christian hope 
is that first, God will take the bad things in your life and use them for good. Second, the good things God has given can never be taken away. And third, the best things are yet to come. The Apostle Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 4, we know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. When we remember the great eternal truths of the gospel, we can ask, why soul are you cast down? This affliction shall pass. It is light. It is momentary in view of eternity. Why are you in turmoil within me? Do you not know that you will be with Jesus for all eternity, abounding more and more in joy as we grasp more and more his endless love for us? Hope in God, soul, for I shall again praise him. Shall praise him for all eternity. My salvation, my God. Because he is our salvation, there is no reason to despair. Because he is our God, we have reason for hope in any circumstance. Because Jesus, for our souls, was cast down, was submerged in the depths. Because wave upon wave of suffering came crashing down on him so that it need not come upon us. Because he bore our sin, because he died in our place. Take care, lest you forget the Lord, who by the blood of his cross brought you out of the house of slavery and set you free. When we remember who God is, both his justice and his love demonstrated so powerfully and profoundly at the cross of Christ. When we remember what the Lord has done, living the life that we were required to live, dying the death that we deserve to die, rising again for our salvation, then we have an answer to the competing narratives in our hearts and souls about whether God can be trusted. He who did not spare his only son, but graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not with him give us all things? Romans 8.32. He can be trusted. When we remember what God has pledged to do, he says, I will not forget you. Though you forget me, I will not forget you. Behold, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Isaiah 49. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6. When we remember that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Then we can say to our souls with awe, what wondrous love is this, O oh my soul. What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul. We can say to our souls, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. I shall forever praise him, my salvation and my God. When we remember and remind our souls who the Lord is, what he has done, what he will do, then we have hope in any and every circumstance. And Psalm 25 and 1 Peter 2 tell us that those who hope in the Lord shall not be put to shame. 
Those who hope in the Lord shall by no means be disappointed. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, we echo, I'm going to echo Troy's uh, prayer at the beginning of this uh, sermon that, that we, Lord, uh, would uh, experience, that we would, would taste and see uh, the goodness of your truth, of your word uh, for ourselves now that we might go out and be able to remind ourselves of your goodness, of your faithfulness. Remind our own souls uh, in the moment of testing, in the moment of uh, anxiety and uh, fear and despair. Lord, uh, we praise you for uh, these truths. We praise you uh, that you are good and that your steadfast love endures forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.